of October. Almost forgot the date there. It is a Friday morning. Thanks for being with us on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's begin with St. Monica's Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son, who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. Lord, you gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts and by the success of her prayer, I ask the grace to imitate her constancy in my prayer for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer and witness that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your church. Grant also that my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another, for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. I like praying that one on Fridays, just in case someone headed into the weekend might think to themselves, you know what? I've not been to Mass in a while. Maybe I should go back. I like to pray just in case that happens. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on a Friday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has got the video up and running at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. Michelle Sagarino is going to be along from Cross Catholic Outreach. They've got their Box of Joy program. Some of you have participated in that before, and if you haven't, she'll let you know how you can this year. Well, Dr. Jeff- Dr. Jeffrey Morrow, who is part of the Ascension uh, Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. We've been going uh, book by book through the Old Testament, and today we are on the book of Second Chronicles, which probably is not one that many of you have read from front to back. Ken Craycraft, our legal and political correspondent, will look at Laudate Deum and unpack it a little bit. We'll also look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Hezekiah's Carnazzo, so lots to get to here on a Friday morning. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. UAW President Sean Fain is expected to address members of the United Auto Workers Union again tomorrow on the status of contract negotiations with Detroit's big three automakers. He has announced walkouts over the past couple of weeks and may include more locations tomorrow. There has reportedly been progress made with Stellantis and Ford Motor Company, with Ford reportedly making a significant offer. It includes a large pay raise and the end of quote-unquote tiers for employees. General Motors secured a $6 billion credit line as talks continue. A Russian strike on a Ukrainian village has left at least 51 people dead. Mark Mayfield reports. That's according to Ukrainian authorities. President Zelensky said on Telegram a missile hit a grocery store in the Kharkiv region, calling it a demonstrably brutal Russian crime. It's one of the deadliest civilian attacks in the year and a half of war. Zelensky wrote that anyone helping Russia supports evil. I'm Mark Mayfield. The work at the Synod on Synodality continues in Rome. A Vatican press conference was held yesterday with the prefect of the Dicastery for Communications, Paolo Ruffini, 
He said there are 35 working groups in the Synod and in his opening remarks to them yes, to them earlier this week, Pope Francis said, quote, let the centrality of Christ be the guiding thread of this synod. Let him be the alpha and omega of our discussions. He said, I am praying so the synod will succeed in achieving his own goals. The Ohio March for Life is taking place today. Columbus Bishop Earl Fernandez will celebrate mass at 9 a.m. Eastern time at St. Joseph's Cathedral and then we'll join March for Life President Jeannie Mancini, Senator J.D. Vance, and others at the rally at the state capitol starting at 11 a.m. This happening just about a month ahead of the November 7th election, which in Ohio includes a vote on a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion in the state constitution. The bishops of Ohio have urged all people to vote no on issue one. The U.S. is resuming direct deportation flights of Venezuelan migrants next week. Trey Thomas reports. On Thursday, a Biden administration official announced any Venezuelans who illegally cross the border and do not establish a legal basis to remain will be flown back to their home country. Last month, the Biden administration offered a temporary protected status and work authorization to anyone from Venezuela who's lived in the U.S. before August. I'm Trey Thomas. And NFL Hall of Famer Dick Butkus has died at the age of 80. The Chicago Bears released a statement from the Butkus family that said he died peacefully in his sleep overnight at his Malibu home. The linebacker spent his entire career with the Bears after being drafted by the team in 1965 and was named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1979, his first year of eligibility. Well, Anna Mitchell, you're not going to believe this. Actually, you probably don't remember this. Uh, Paul Lockman wasn't around. Travis certainly wasn't around. But uh, many years ago, I would say about maybe 13 years ago, uh, Dick Butkus was a guest on the Sunrise Morning Show. Really? Believe it or not. Wow. Um, yeah, well, back when Brian Patrick was hosting it, and mm-hmm. Brian was also doing Crossing the Goal for EWT oh, television. Oh, right, right, right. Because Danny Abramowitz, a former mm-hmm. New Orleans Saint wide receiver, was part of that panel. Of course, mm-hmm. many people know Danny from all kinds of things. WTN. Anyway, Danny uh, asked Mike if he'd be willing to come on the show, and or not Mike. I always get Mike Dick and Dick Mike. Butkus up. Mixed up. <laughs> he asked Dick Butkus. He actually asked a few different people um, to do short little kind of men's faith and yeah. reflection thingies. So it's because I said dub airs. You know, I called Annie last night and I was like, "Can we find archives? Do our archives go back that far to see if we could find a soundbite from that interview?" But and I'm uh, sorry, they. Well, I haven't gone looking yet, Matt. You'll be disappointed. Well, maybe Matt in the breaks, like, Paul Lockman Matt, can go see if it's like burned to a CD yeah, somewhere. Yeah, Matt tells me last be. night, he goes, there's probably a spool of CDs with dates on them. And I would have written on them in Sharpie who was on the CD. <laughs> Back when we, that's how we used to record the show there are in some the kids, days. There are some kids listening right now as they get ready like, for church. Or they're church, like, what's a Sharpie? School, and they're like... What's a CD? Not what's a Sharpie. People use Sharpies. I'm just making sure that the world has not completely passed me by. (laughs) It is seven minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Thank you for joining us on this Feast of St. Vincent de Paul, who is one of the greatest 
models in the church of what it means to have faith and works to be involved in a life of prayer and also a life of tangible charity to others, which makes for a great occasion to talk to uh, our next guest. Michelle Sagarino is president of Cross Catholic Outreach. You know them for many things that we talk to throughout the year, but this time of year, they've become rather well-known, increasingly well-known for the Box of Joy Project. Michelle, welcome back. Well, thank you, Matt. It's great to be with you this morning. We're coming near Christmas, aren't we? I, you know, <laughs> the box of joy. if I didn't hear it from you, I'd be hearing it from every store I walk into. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the reason that we're you know talking about this now here in September is not because we're trying to skip over seasons or anything, but because, I mean, you've got some planning to do if you're going to be distributing thousands upon thousands of these things and get them there on time, right? We definitely do. This is our kickoff season for the Box of Joy, which is a Christmas box program that goes out to children around the world that often never receive a Christmas gift. So in the last, let's see, 10 years, over a half a million gifts have been distributed around the world. And so we're kicking it off and asking groups to to sign up in September and October to participate in this um, initiative. Well, this is a great way to involve kids who are the same age as the kids getting the gifts in these projects, and that's what you really kind of focus on, right? It definitely is, Matt. We are able to prov- uh, each family is able to provide gifts to children, boy or girl, from two to four, or five to nine, or ten to fourteen and engage their families and their parishes and their schools in a faith initiative, and hands and feet, you know, of Jesus, working to fill these gifts up uh, with toys and school supplies and clothing and um, be able to send them to children who would never, ever be able to receive a gift. And we make that so, so easy, so easy for everyone to do. Um, as a matter of fact, we already have over a thousand groups signed up, and our goal is fifteen hundred. So wow. you can go online to Box of Joy and register your group. It's very easy. You can become a project leader, and we will send you the kit of all the boxes. They're beautiful. The box to put the boxes in, and all the material to explain to your group how to go shopping fill their box, and where to drop their box off in November for pickup. Well, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people listening right now are either taking their kids to a Catholic school that is not yet involved in Box of Joy, or maybe they just teach like sixth grade religious ed at their parish and don't have a project lined up yet uh, for their angel giving, whatever it is that they want to do, their their outreach. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who could probably help you hit that number of 1500 this year and that sounds like a big number but it's a number that's been growing because i feel like every year and we've been talking to you almost since the beginning it feels like you with have, box of joy every year the numbers are just bigger and and i don't know i get excited to hear what it's going to be the next year um based on the numbers that we started talking to you about a very very exciting we started off with two dioceses when we began this program 10 years ago and I'd say two years ago, we were about 115,000 children were blessed. Last year, and, and, uh, this year, our goal is 151,000. So we've been able to expand into different countries, Dominican Republic, Guatemala. Last year, we went into Malawi. 
And um, these are areas and partners that we already work with. I know you've, you've had us on to share about other initiatives like helping with water or housing or um, microfinance. These partners are already long-term partners of ours, and now they're able to bless these children during the holidays to have a gift. And not only is it a material gift of, uh, you know, the toys and the excitement and the fun, but each box, when it comes to our National Screening Center in Miami, we put a rosary and a story of Jesus. And then when they're distributed to the children, the missionaries that provide the boxes to the children will share about the love of Christ and that this is coming from that love, from the United States with that love. Well, it's so cool to be able to talk to you about this on the Feast of St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, because he modeled so much of this in his own work, and so many people have modeled uh, this idea throughout the ages, I think just up the road from me is the Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, who looked to St. Vincent de Paul and was like, okay, what would I look if I did this in a school system, <laughs> right? Uh, and the cool thing about that model is that it understands the idea of these two big, I mean, big-ticket Catholic social teaching principles, solidarity and subsidiarity. Solidarity means that we have kind of a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in need. But subsidiarity means that we empower the people who are already there to take care of it. And that's kind of what you do, right? I mean, you're not just coming in, dropping off a truck full of stuff, and then flying back to Miami. I mean, you're empowering the people who are already there, right? Oh, I love that. I love that. Yes, most definitely. Over 10 years, we've been able to give $4 billion worth of aid in 90 countries. Our mission is to mobilize the global Catholic Church to transform the poor and their communities materially and socially and spiritually for the glory of Jesus Christ. And how we do that is through subsidiarity. It's coming alongside the partners that are already in country, the diocese, the bishops, the priests, the nuns, to be able to empower them with what they need to do what God has called them to do. So it's the perfect model. It's it's really unifying the church, and all of us are a piece of it. Well, there are some people getting excited just hearing you talk this way and want to figure out how to go get a box of joy start, started right now. So uh, if you could throw that uh, information out so that anybody could either individually or start a group um, to get this going where they are. Most definitely. You can go to um, boxofjoy.org, and right below the header, it's going to tell you every step to do. You can register your group, how to shop, what to shop for, where to drop off your boxes. And if you do not have enough time, some of us are so, so busy, you can even do Box of Joy online. Um, Sign up for that, and we will pack the boxes for you. So there's many ways you can get involved. All the resources are there, and a list of uh, most asked questions. What should I put in my box? When is the deadline? Our deadline is October 27th for groups to sign up. So you can find out all at boxofjoy.org. It's all linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, and now you see behind the scenes that I recorded that interview on the Feast of St. Vincent Paul. So you see the video thing, it, it just, it just you know, blasts out all of our secrets of how... Uh, how we make this all work. Let's check on weather for the nation. And it looks like rain showers and perhaps a few thunderstorms will be found from the eastern Great Lakes and Ohio Valley into the central Gulf Coast in uh, the morning hours. 
That'll spread to the northeast, mid-Atlantic, and the southern Appalachians during the afternoon, evening, and overnight. Rain also along an upper-level weather system. Timing for that would be morning as well for the northern plains, upper Mississippi Valley, and western Great Lakes. Then in the afternoon and evening for the Midwest and the rest of the Great Lakes. A big area of high pressure will settle over the western two-thirds of the nation for the end of the week. That'll mean dry weather and pleasant fall-like temperatures from the west coast to the plains. And that is your geography lesson for the day. Got headlines with Anna Mitchell coming up next. It is 16 minutes past the hour. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. He is honored by the church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit St. Peter Canisius was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. A Russian strike on a Ukrainian village has left at least 51 people dead. The work at the Synod on Synodality continues today in Rome and in Ohio, the capital of Ohio, that is, in Columbus. The Ohio March for Life is taking place today. We'll talk more about that with Jeannie Mancini later on. And uh, Anna Mitchell, I do know that uh, people are going to be going into the weekend at their parish, and there's all kinds of stuff that the church is going to have us try to focus on in the readings, but there's going to be all kinds of chats before and after church, probably people giving their hot takes on all the news that's come out this week about church stuff. I just... uh, You think so? Well, I mean, I know know (laughs) what happens in the... (laughs) In my world. I don't hear many hot takes when I go to Mass. i got to admit. Well, I get a lot of questions. Most people are not paying attention to what is happening. Most people are not, but enough are who know that I I do Catholic radio stuff that ask me. Well, okay, that's fair. All I'm going to say is that I would just encourage you to use this weekend not to marinate in all the things about synod stuff or anything else that stress you out, Mm -hmm. Um, but rather to 
take like an actual day of rest on Sunday. Um, this is something that I think that, uh, well, we've talked about this a lot with Dr. John Cudaback, especially mm-hmm. uh, about how are we treating our Sundays? Yeah. Like, how are we really treating our Sundays? Isn't this what the second reading is all about for Mass on Sunday? Uh, Philippians, some brothers stuff to and it. sisters, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. That last one, Philippians 4, 8, is worthy of memorizing. Yes. Yes, it is. It's worthy of I memorizing. memorized it in the NIV. It's so hard think about now <laughs> what you're going to think about on Sunday. Good idea. And commit to that to take an actual Sabbath. It's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. You can pick up your own copy at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And we are back with Dr. Jeffrey Morrow, one of the contributors to this guide. Dr. Morrow, welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be here. It is good to have you. So we went through First Chronicles, and now we are up to Second Chronicles in our study this morning. And and just like the first book of Chronicles, it's kind of a different perspective on a narrative that we've read earlier in the Bible. So what story is that? 
That is the stories that we find in First and Second Kings. So just as First Chronicles rereads the history that we have in First and Second Samuel, from the prophet Samuel through David, Second um, Chronicles takes us forward, covering the same historical territory that we find in First and Second Kings. And what is the new perspective, I guess, that we get on First and Second Kings when we read through Second Chronicles? Well, it's really a focus on the importance of the temple. I mean, it really is. That comes to the fore here. Um, we see the dedication of the temple. We find this already in First Kings with Solomon, but what Chronicles does is it just adds an emphasis with more detail focusing on the temple. And this is really important because I think, especially if you read Second Chronicles right after First Chronicles, you start to see how the temple itself was like a microcosm of the world. It was like a little world. And if you read the creation account in Genesis 1 through 3, you start to see that, that the world was created as one large temple. And so there's a parallel here. The world is created as a temple so that we could worship God and the temple was like a mini-world. Can you explain that just a little bit further? Unpack yeah, that sure. for us. That's fine. There's a lot, there's a lot going on there. So yeah. there's a lot of, of parallels between um, the creation in Genesis, and first with Moses' construction of the tabernacle, which is like a movable temple in the desert in um, Exodus, and then with the temple in Jerusalem. So... The focus of the number seven is very important, so it was over seven years that the temple was built. There was a seven-petitionary prayer that Solomon enacts, just as you have the seventh day of the Sabbath. The, uh, Solomon is said by, God says, Solomon will build the temple, not you, David, because he is a more a man of rest mm. than you have been, and then the temple will become a, a place of rest for the Ark of God and for the Lord. Um, so there's this theme, this creation, this rest imagery that's going on. Solomon was often depicted as a gardener, actually, in Jewish tradition. And if you look at how the temple is described, you find garden imagery on the walls. And just as in Genesis 3, you have the cherubim guarding, with a flaming sword, guarding the entrance to the garden. You also have cherubim depicted on the walls on the inside of the temple. And on the inner sanctum, before you walk in, there's two statues of cherubim on the entrance. And then both the Garden of Eden and the temple are eastward facing. They were both entered from the east. That's really interesting. And I mean, isn't it those, the, the remnant that stay behind during the exile? And I want to ask you about the Second Chronicles perspective on, sure. on the Assyrian and, and Babylonian exiles. But those who were left behind were essentially left to like garden, right? To like, replant yeah. this this area that had just been destroyed by the Babylonians. Yeah, the Babylonian exile was particularly intense, and the destruction of the temple would have been viewed in some ways almost like the destruction of the world. Mm-hmm. It was that cataclysmic for ancient Israel. And so they were left without a temple, without a place of worship, and they did the best that they could, but it was really devastating. Um, and, and so when the new temple gets built, they they look at it as, you know, the one there were still some people who would have been very young who could have remembered the old temple, and they would have seen this as this is nothing like Solomon's temple, right? And yet they're being told, they're being encouraged that that's, that's okay, because Solomon built out of his great wealth, you're building from your heart. With the little you have, you're giving your all. And so there was encouragement there as well. Hmm. 
But there were some that decided to come and build their own houses first, right? In I the mean, north. that was problematic. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. In the north, they have uh, multiple temples being built in the north. Um, and this is really, I think, important. We don't think a lot about this, but we the Assyrians come in and wipe out the north, and they repopulate. So each of the—there's actually a connection here with the Gospel of John. The region of Samaria, there were five people groups that are forced to intermarry with the northern Israel, and, um, and those, they're, they're worshiping the false god Baal, which is also sometimes used as a term for a husband, a lord. And so when our Lord, in John chapter 4, encounters the woman at the well, the Samaritan, and he says she's had five husbands, in a sense she's actually living out in her life the history of her people in the north with five people groups and, and had temples worshiping these different gods. Wow. So, Dr. Morrow, as we close this conversation, just what themes would you encourage folks to keep in mind as, as they read and study and contemplate Second Chronicles? The two biggest themes, I think, are the fact that, in a sense, it goes back to creation, that we really are created to be priestly people. And we're created to worship God and to mediate His blessings to the world, to people around us. And the second is a similar theme that we mentioned both in Second Kings and in First Chronicles, and that's the theme of hope. That no matter how bad things get in the Church, in history, in our lives, in the people around us, no matter how bad things get, there's always the hope of God's redemption and healing. Beautifully put. We've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Morrow, and we've been talking about the second book of Chronicles. And you can pick up a copy of A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament to learn more. It's at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. Dr. Morrow, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to have you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. A Russian strike on a Ukrainian village has left at least 51 people dead. That according to Ukrainian authorities. President Volodymyr Zelensky said on Telegram a missile hit a grocery store in the Kharkiv region, calling it a, quote, demonstrably brutal Russian crime, end quote. It is one of the deadliest civilian attacks in the year and a half of war. Zelensky wrote that anyone helping Russia, quote, supports evil. The Pentagon says a U.S. fighter jet shot down an armed Turkish drone operating near American troops in Syria. Brigadier General Pat Ryder told reporters the drone was shot down after it was determined to be a potential threat. He added there's no indication Turkey was intentionally targeting U.S. forces and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has spoken to his Turkish counterpart, It's the first time the U.S. has brought down an aircraft of a NATO ally. This comes as Turkey has increased attacks on Kurdish troops in Syria and Iraq after Kurdish militants recently claimed responsibility for a bomb attack in Turkey. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain is expected to address union members again on the status of contract negotiations with Detroit's Big three automakers. Mark Mayfield has the story. It appears that soundbite is not going to work. So he will address them on the status of contract negotiations. He has announced walkouts over the past couple of weeks and 
may include more locations in this latest update. There has reportedly been progress made in talks with Stellantis and Ford Motor Company, with Ford reportedly making a significant offer. It includes a large pay raise and the end of so-called tiers for employees. General Motors secured a $6 billion credit line as talks continue. The work at the Synod on Synodality continues. A Vatican press conference was held yesterday with Paolo Ruffini, who is the prefect of the Dicastery for Communication. There are more than 400 delegates, and Ruffini said the 35 working groups, or circuli minori, started off with some reflection. The main question posed to them was this, quote, starting from the journey of the local churches to which we each belong and from the contents of the Instrumentum Laboris, which distinctive signs of a synodal church emerge with greater clarity and which deserve greater recognition or should be particularly highlighted or deepened, end quote. The Catholic News Agency reports that other questions were posed to the delegates for reflection as well. The Ohio March for Life is taking place later today. Columbus Bishop Earl Fernandez will celebrate Mass at 9 a.m. Eastern at St. Joseph's Cathedral in Columbus, and then will join March for Life President Jeannie Mancini, Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, and others at the rally at the state capitol starting at 11 a.m. The march itself will take place at noon. This happening just about a month ahead of the November 7th election, in which, which in Ohio will include a vote on a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. The bishops of Ohio have urged all people to vote no on issue one. The U.S. is resuming direct deportation flights of Venezuelan migrants next week. Trey Thomas has more. On Thursday, a Biden administration official announced any Venezuelans who illegally cross the border and do not establish a legal basis to remain will be flown back to their home country. Last month, the Biden administration offered a temporary protected status and work authorization to anyone from Venezuela who's lived in the U.S. before August. I'm Trey Thomas. And NFL Hall of Famer Dick Butkus has died. He was 80 years old. The Chicago Bears released a statement from the Butkus family that said he died peacefully in his sleep overnight at his Malibu home. The linebacker spent his entire career with the Bears after being drafted by the team in 1965. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35. The You listen to the Sunrise Morning Show? Well, imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show. You'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations, each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners, not to mention all the people who listen on Sirius Satellite and our online app. Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com, L-E-A-H, at sacredheartradio.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What is necessary to make a good communion? To make a good communion, it is necessary to be in a state of sanctifying grace, to be fasting, and to have a right intention. There are so many bad communions out there, but what is a good communion? Ultimately, a good communion means that I am in communion with Jesus already, even before I receive the Eucharist. I'm sorry for my sins, confessed them if necessary. Even my physical body is prepared to hunger for our Lord. I've fasted for a little while, and I have the right intention. I should be doing so because I love Jesus and I want to be close to him so that I might prepare for eternal life. And so then, in order to make a good communion, then we are going to have a holy and spiritual motives so that we might resist temptation, be united to our Lord, and ultimately prepare to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Good to have you along with us on this feast of St. Bruno, the founder of the Cistercians. Pray for us. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft back with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. He writes for the Catholic Telegraph, our Sunday visitor, and the UK Catholic Herald. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Annie. How are you? I am doing fine. It's good to have you back. And the Holy See on the Feast of St. Francis uh, released the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum, in which um, I'm not directly quoting him. This is a paraphrase. He essentially says, you did not listen to me in Laudato Si, and so I'm going to double down now. Um, But this document, Laudate Deum, is way shorter than Laudato Si. I mean, so definitely not as expansive in scope here. Yes, that's right. And, and it, it, you did paraphrase, but it was a pretty close paraphrase. He basically <laughs> said, uh, my, my, the first encyclical wasn't heeded, so I'm uh, sending this ep, uh, apostolic exhortation uh, so that the first one will be heeded. Yeah. And, and the first, uh, Laudato Si, weighed in at about 40,000 words. This is about 7,000 words. So it's, uh, it's like an addendum to uh, Laudato Si more than it is a freestanding document. And uh, not surprisingly, uh, for that reason, and because the Pope has a habit of doing this, uh, if you take away the quotes from Laudato Si, it's probably only about 3,000 words. Uh, so it's, it extensively quotes from the first document. And the body of the document actually is not a theological or a, um, or a religious uh, treatise at all. The body of the document is, is the rehearsal of a massive amount of scientific data related to climate change and to, uh, you know, to uh, different types of uh, ways that it's, it's measured and uh, the effects of uh, climate change on uh, various aspects of uh, economies around the world, um, as well as a summary of what has been done in terms of uh, various uh, uh, conventions around the world and how those conventions have or have not been kept uh, since they've been passed. So, 
Um, it, it's it's kind of a strange document in that way. Actually, mm -hmm. I, the more I think about it, the more I think that it seems like somebody, um, you know, somebody with some scientific uh, expertise or interest uh, drafted a document and then uh, the Pope basically tacked on a beginning and an end around that scientific analysis. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, you know, eight years ago, I read the entire very long Laudato Si. And oh, so was, you're the one. Yeah, the the <laughs> one of the few. Yeah, and and that that leads me to what I want to ask you here because I lamented back then that most people got their information from the media. And the thing about media today is that you can go to the Vatican website and get an entire encyclical that, what did you say it was, 40,000 words? 40,000 words, 40,000 yeah. word encyclical online. And there's this lovely little feature, Control-F, which brings up this mm -hmm. little you know, bar on your computer, which is a search bar. And you can search for keywords um, you know, incendiary words, for instance, and mm -hmm. the computer will just show you right where that is. And you can just pull out quotes that say exactly what you want Pope Francis to say without giving <laughs> any other context. And so most people didn't read Laudato Si in its entirety. And I think Laudate Deum needs Laudato Si, Laudato si to be understood properly. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and you are right. I mean, people will uh, do a, a search for either terms that will confirm what they want the Pope to say or or uh, or the lack of terms. So, for example, if it doesn't contain enough references to this or that, then people complain about it as mm -hmm. well, which is, you know, obviously not a very good way of an, analyzing a document. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. There's no question that it's not a freestanding document. Uh, you, it, it doesn't make sense outside of Laudato Si. And it's also important to note, that Laudato Si was not just about the environment. It had yes. there were other aspects as well. Whereas Laudato Deum is 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 solely concentrated on the environment and on climate change. And look, I you know I I looked at it with an open mind and and I and I was certainly glad that it was shorter. Uh, and and I um, I think that the document is in large part a, a good document. Uh, I don't I don't gainsay the scientific data as I say in my piece in the Catholic Herald. Um, analyzing it, um, you know, the, uh, uh, thermometers and, and wind gauges and barometers don't lie. I mean, we can measure differences in climate. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this leaves open the, the very important question of causation. And the Pope is fair about that, too. You know, he notes that uh, we, we can't dismiss uh, long term cyclical changes. And, you know, the, the hardcore climate deniers say, well, the climate has always changed and this is just another example of it. The Pope rightly points out that, yes, that there that is a factor. But he also points out that we've never been able to measure uh, such uh, significant changes, for example, in average high temperatures in such a short period of time as we have in the past uh, 30 or 40 years. What, so that's a good point, too. So there's a sense in which I admire the document uh, for its balance. It, it's not for the most part, it's not reductionist. In addition, uh, he, he, he criticizes what he calls certain apocalyptic diagnoses, which he says are scarcely reasonable. So it's not uh, uh, the end. It, it's not an end. Uh, it's not a sky is falling document. It comes close to that in some language, but it is more measured than than the Pope's uh, knee jerk critics would have you uh, have you uh, think it is. Uh, and maybe it doesn't go as far as some really uh, adamant client, act, client activists might uh, have wanted it to. But 
but there are problems with it. And, and you know, I, I, I tell my students, I'm not in the, the, the Francis uh, criticism business. Uh, he's the Holy Father. Uh, I, uh, I respect and admire him. Uh, I thought Fratelli Tutti was a great document, for example, and he's done other things that I think are really good. And on the other hand, he has said and done things that I have questions about. And this document is included in that. My, I have two chief complaints about the document, and, and, and some, one of them is relatively minor and one of them is more significant. The first one is that the Pope, despite the fact that he is measured in his analysis, he does seem to think that the sole way uh, of, of reducing uh, climate change is to reduce consumption. I mean, he, he really, he, there's a sense in which he thinks if we just consume less, all these problems will go away. And he summarizes, the, he summarizes this attitude by saying, and I want to quote, Part of it. He says, if we consider that emissions per individual in the United States are about two times greater than those of individuals living in China, and about seven times greater than the average of the poorest countries, we can state that a broad change in the irresponsible lifestyle connected with the Western world model would have a significant long-term impact, unquote. Now, of course, you know, Americans who already uh, don't like Pope Francis will, will seize upon that because he specifically points out the United States. Mm-hmm. But m- I'm not worried about that. I criticize the United States probably more than, uh, than Pope Francis does. Mm-hmm. My concern is that this ignores that emissions per individual is not necessarily a measure of consumption, but also can be a measure of manufacturing and distribution of goods. Of course, a, a, a highly developed country with extensive manufacturing processes is going to have higher emissions per individual than a country that doesn't have uh, extensive manufacturing, or as he calls it, uh, a poorer country. So to say that to say that the measure of irresponsibility is emissions per individual is just wrong. And also to say that merely uh, 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 decreasing consumption is going to solve all the problems, that's simply wrong. Uh, I, I believe that manufacturing has a causal relation to climate uh, uh, climate change. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I also believe that overconsumption does. I don't have any doubt about that. But the Pope kind of reduces everything to consumption and then reduces emissions per person to nothing but consumption. And that's just not fair. And what did you think about, just quickly, because we've only got like a minute and a half here, Ken, um, which you know, works because there was very little theological reflection in this, given that I think he's expecting folks to have read Laudato Si. I I think that's probably right. And and there is far more theological reflection in Laudato Si than there is in this document. In this document, Annie, there's none. There really is no theology at all. At the end of the document, he tacks on a a, a sort of religious meditation on on, uh, the the way that there's a a certain equilibrium between humans and plants and animals, but there's no theological uh, 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 analysis here about the way that things should be ordered toward God, uh, including our care of creation. And our and our love of creation and stewardship that's just absent from the document. So uh, and 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 I give it I give two cheers. So I, I like it. I like two thirds of it. A third of it I'm not so crazy about. Well, you can read more about it over at the UK Catholic Herald and Ken's column there. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. All right, it's thirteen till. Father Hezekiah Carnazzo is next. Are you looking for peace? Logging for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. 
Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The AWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV. Your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN is the global Catholic network. With us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture here to preview the Mass readings for the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Father, good morning. Good morning, Annie. It's such a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And we head to the prophet Isaiah, very early on in the prophet Isaiah, for our first reading this weekend in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And it's kind of interesting, Father, because we've been hearing all of these parables from Jesus, and we will this weekend as well, that are focused on vineyard imagery. And now we see with this first reading that Jesus was alluding back to the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. You know, we need to remember, Annie, always, as I so commonly say, a a text without a context is no text at all. And the Messiah without a context, sadly, is, I'm not going to say it's not the Messiah, but is misunderstood. And so Jesus is teaching in a context. Is, is the people around him um, are, are, are within a, a culture, and that culture is very much a biblical culture. So when Jesus is teaching, he's using images in the parables in his teaching. The images he uses, he's not making up. These are images used by the prophets of the Old Testament to warn God's people of what is taking place in their life. Uh, and Jesus, of course, is coming as the final and greatest of prophets, the incarnate Word of God. And, and so he borrows from images in the Old Testament so as to allow the people around him to help them understand what he's saying. And, of course, they understood what he was saying because he's prophesying and he's quoting very clearly in the Gospel that we hear today, prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived before the, just just before the Babylonian exile. The impending doom was expected in Jerusalem, that the Babylonians were to come down and conquer. The Assyrians were marching down 
uh, upon um, not only destroying the north, but marching on the south. Soon the Babylonians would take control, um, and the greatest army the world ever knew would march on Jerusalem and sadly burn it to the ground. Why? The question is asked, why? Well, Isaiah is very clear about that, because God had placed Israel in his, if you will, vineyard, yeah, the leaders of Israel, in the midst of his people, so as to cultivate the vineyard and make it fruitful, make it grow, make it more faithful to him. And yet they had abandoned their God-given mission to till and keep the church of the Old Testament, turning rather to idol worship and so forth, and and abandon their relationship with God. So Isaiah is warning that in this situation in which those that were placed in the role of tilling and keeping God's people, in the situation in which they had abandoned their job, well, the vineyard was going to turn bad, and it was going to start growing wild grapes. It didn't bear good fruit. And the results of that would be very clear. And this is the image that Jesus picks up from the Old Testament. Yeah, and so in Matthew 21, we know that Jesus has already taken off the gloves, so to speak, when he's speaking to the chief priests and the elders, this parable being given to them during Holy Week. And he tells this parable about a landowner who plants a vineyard and he rents it out. And when the time comes to obtain the produce, he sends servants They get seized and beaten by the tenants. Then he sends even more servants. They get beaten and killed. And then he finally sends his son. But the tenants say, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. And and Jesus goes on from there asking them, what is the landowner going to do? Father, this being directed at the the chief priests and the elders here. It is. And of course, the fathers of the church interpreting this parable tell us that the imagery is very clear. The vineyard, of course, is the church. The servants sent are the, the patriarchs and the prophets, uh, the judges, and so forth. Those All those that God sent to lead his people into all truth. But of course, they stoned the prophets and killed them. And then, of course, the son is Jesus. The most important thing of this parable is that, we, is that we begin in a theocentric way. God has provided everything necessary in his church for salvation. He's ensured that the, the hedgerow around it, right, the moral teachings of the church are there to guide us, uh, that all the protections are in place, the, the life of, of the church, the sacraments, everything necessary for the vineyard has been taken care of by God. But he has placed all of that in the hands of his chosen leadership, if you will, in, in our hands. Well, in the context of the gospel, in the, in the hands of the leaders of Israel, who are meant to till and keep and receive those God sent to them, so that the harvest may be complete. But they've abandoned their job. And here we are in Holy Week. Jesus knows they're seeking to kill him. And so this is very clear, the imagery, Annie, of what's taking place. But of course, the gospel is written down in the years yeah. following all of this and given to the early church as a warning. Absolutely, which leads me to my last question. I mean, I guess when you're looking at the context here, they're in the midst of 
Holy Week, but we here liturgically are receiving this as we are now very much looking ahead toward Advent. So what is the message for the Church here, Father? Well, I think it's very simple and very clear. The Lord has given us everything necessary for salvation. The Church is filled with God's life, filled with His grace. He's placed the hoe and the shovel, if you will, in our hands. And it's a warning today to all of us. If the Lord appeared today in our church, would we appear before him with a hoe in our hand or with our hands in our pockets? We have been given the church to till and keep and make it fruitful, that others might come and receive that fruit and grow themselves into the vineyard of the Lord. Sadly today, as I've said so many times, too many Catholics, even too many priests and bishops, treat the church like a vending machine. And rather than tilling and keeping and growing it, we use it for our own ends. My brothers and sisters, the hoe has been placed in your hand. What are you going to do with the gift, which is the Church of God? We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to see what's happening over at the Institute of Catholic Culture, how do they get more info? We've just launched our new curriculum here at the ICC. I invite you to come on over and check it out, instituteofcatholicculture.org. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, Father Hezekiah. Another hour coming up for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word. We continue on this Friday, the 6th of October, by praying together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy on your people. You are the potter and we are the clay. Shape us in your image according to your will. You are the shepherd and we are the flock. Seek out those who have strayed from your ways. You are the host and we are the guests at your table. Feed the hungry of spirit with the bread of your loving forgiveness. God of mercy and compassion, you brought about the salvation of the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us when we fail to live the new life you have given us. Raise us up when our sinfulness sinks us into discouragement. Grant us courage to renew our desire to live according to your will. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Friday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim, Anna Mitchell has news, Paul Lockman at the controls, and up this hour, there are so many things going on. Uh, we're going to talk to Jeannie Mancini uh, about the Ohio March for Life. Of course, lots of issues at stake for pro-lifers here in the Buckeye State. Dr. Samuel Shepard will be with us. He is with um, the Pursuit of Wisdom program at Ave Maria University, and he's going to discuss how they're approaching the question of stewarding the environment. Of course, a conversation that is being had on lots of levels because of the recent release of the Pope's Apostolic Exhortation Laudate Deum. Bobby Schindler will be along from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. Also, Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston to look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings. So lots to get to here on a Friday morning. Right now it is two minutes past. News the service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. 
Good morning. The United Auto Workers president will make an announcement on Facebook Live today at 2 p.m. Eastern time regarding a possible expansion of their strike against the big three automakers. The president of the UAW has spoken the past two Fridays to announce new additions to the ongoing work stoppage. The UAW is expanding the stand-up strike by targeting a few assembly plants and more than 30 parts plants. The progress of the talks with each automaker are reflected in which plants are added to the strike each week. A Russian attack on a Ukrainian village has left at least 51 people dead. Mark Mayfield reports. That's according to Ukrainian authorities. President Zelensky said on Telegram a missile hit a grocery store in the Kharkiv region, calling it a demonstrably brutal Russian crime. It's one of the deadliest civilian attacks in the year and a half of war. Zelensky wrote that anyone helping Russia supports evil. I'm Mark Mayfield. The work at the Senate on Synodality continues. A Vatican press conference was held yesterday with Paolo Ruffini, the prefect of the Dicastery for Communication. There are more than 400 delegates, and Ruffini said the 35 working groups started off with some reflection, with the main question being, quote, starting from the journey of the local churches to which we each belong and from the contents of the Instrumentum Laboris, which distinctive signs of a synodal church emerge with greater clarity and which deserve greater recognition or should be particularly highlighted or deepened, end quote. Pope Francis, in his remarks to participants on day one, told the delegates that the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of the synod. He said, quote, let the centrality of Christ, therefore, be the guiding thread of this synod. Let him be the alpha and omega of our discussions. He said, I am praying so the synod will succeed in achieving his own goals. The Ohio March for Life is taking place today. Columbus Bishop Earl Fernandez will celebrate Mass at 9 a.m. Eastern at St. Joseph's Cathedral and then will join March for Life President Jeannie Mancini and others at the rally at the state capitol. This happening just about a month ahead of the November 7th election, which in Ohio will include a vote on a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. The bishops of Ohio have urged all people to vote no on issue one. More on this Ohio March for Life with Jeannie Mancini from the March for Life in just a few minutes. The U.S. is resuming direct deportation flights of Venezuelan migrants next week. Trey Thomas has more. On Thursday, a Biden administration official announced any Venezuelans who illegally cross the border and do not establish a legal basis to remain will be flown back to their home country. Last month, the Biden administration offered a temporary protected status and work authorization to anyone from Venezuela who's lived in the U.S. before August. I'm Trey Thomas. And imprisoned Iranian human rights activist, our guest, Mohammadi, is the winner of the 2023 Nobel Peace Prize. The committee announced this morning Mohammadi is being recognized for her, quote, fight against the oppression of women in Iran and her fight to promote human rights and freedom for all. Mohammadi has been arrested several times by Iranian authority with authorities with various sentences totaling more than 30 years in prison and more than 150 lashes. She is currently behind bars today. Well, I've also been uh, reading up on the guy who won the Nobel Prize in, in literature, literature. Yeah. Uh, who happens to be a Norwegian author who converted to Catholicism in like 2013. Yeah. 
and who has uh, lots of spiritual themes in his works. That's John Fossey. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be uh, digging in and seeing what his deal is a little yeah, bit Yeah, I've never read curious. John Fossey, but there are some interesting I've been reading about his work. And yeah, it sounds very interesting. Although his septology is apparently written in a single sentence. Oh, wow. It's a seven-volume novel written in a single sentence. And so I'm not sure if I have the mental— James Joyce material. Yeah, I was was thinking, I'm not sure if I have the mental bandwidth to focus uh, on something like that. Some of St. Paul's epistles. (laughs) Perhaps that's where he got a couple of epistles of St. Paul that are maybe three sentences. Do you ever do you ever lecture at mass? I, do I haven't. Not. I haven't lectured. In I've a long, intentionally long time. not been in the lector circuit. Oh, the lector circuit. I, yeah, I like to be an, an invisible beggar in the back. Neat. Well, I lectured when I was in like high school, and man, you've really got to practice St. Paul sometimes when it comes gotta, to reading him out loud to folks and being able to do it in such a way as you're not taking a breath in the middle of, you know. Well, if you've got the really Pentecost reading from the book of Acts and you have to list all the places that everybody's from who's there. Well, that's easy because you, you have know. commas. You've got commas, yes. So you can you And can most pause. of those are just two or three syllables long, but you know, you got to put a put the right emphasis on the right mm-hmm. syllable. Well, that's true, but most people say. don't know how to pronounce it anyway. So you just say it This is a great rule of thumb, folks. Say it with confidence, and people won't know the difference. Nobody will know the difference. Anna Mitchell has to do this. She she do this all the time. She meets new people every morning, just putting together the news. Who come from (laughs) all kinds of places that have local pronunciations, but you get the Anna Mitchell version. Indeed, and hopefully, hopefully it's correct. I think it is. Hopefully, most of the time, I try to do my research on these fronts. Anyway. Today is Friday, October the 6th. It is the Feast of St. Bruno. No, no, no. No, Matt? Nothing? No. I'm doing to you what you do to me in this situation. He's pulling an Anna Mitchell on me. Neat. It's eight past. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Jeannie Mancini, the president of the March for Life. Good morning, Jeannie. Well, good morning. It's good to have you. It is time for the second official Ohio March for Life taking place in Columbus. Are you going to be there? You bet. Awesome. Give us a rundown of the day. Yeah. Well, let me just say this, too, Anna, that this is none too soon, as all of your listeners know, that next month, of course, Ohio has a really important vote. They need to vote against the abortion amendment for the Constitution, but... Um, maybe we'll have a minute to get to that. Is a second annual March for Life, as you mentioned, Anna. So, well, for your listeners, we're delighted that uh, the bishop will be Bishop Earl Fernandez will be celebrating Mass at 9 a.m. at St. Joseph's Cathedral. We then have at 10 o'clock at the Capitol, uh, Damascus Missions um, is going to lead a pre-rally worship concert. This is a wonderful worship band. We had them last year as well. Love that organization. And then at 11 a.m., the official rally begins. We've got a really good lineup with, I would say, um, our our keynote or our headliners being the lieutenant governor and second lady uh, speaking and then marching with us. 
uh, at noon, the crowd will begin to march around the Capitol. And then we even have an afternoon session at 1230, which uh, is the it's, it's an advocacy event. So helping people to learn how to enact with their with their officials, um, their elected officials in Ohio and then nationally, but also to get out and do some door knocking for this last month before the initiative vote on November 7th. So um, check us out at marchforlife.org. You can look at the drop-down menu on the Ohio March for Life for all of the information that I just listed. Yeah, and you can find that linked at our site as well, uh, sunrisemorningshow.com. Now, you mentioned issue one here in Ohio. Jeannie, can you talk about how important this rally is in light of that? I, I Gosh, we just, I, I don't mean to be fear-mongering or sensationalizing, but I cannot underscore how critical this vote in Ohio is next month. I mean, frankly, all eyes are on Ohio in the country because since the wonderful overturn of Roe and the Dobbs decision that came down, the bad news is that we've lost many ballot initiatives similar to this, which then there are these constitutional amendments in in different states like Michigan or California um, that really take that state way further than what Roe allowed. And Ohio, which has long been a life-protective and life-affirming state, really has so much uh, hanging in the balance here. So what I would say is that um, voting no next month is critical and that we should be praying and fasting and get all of your friends out to do this. So if this does not, uh, if we're not victorious, so if, if issue one passes, Ohio basically has erased the basic rights of parents um, to oversee important health decisions for their their daughters. Ohio will allow painful late-term abortion up until birth and will jeopardize basic health and safety protections for for girls um, and for all patients when it comes to, you know, the terrible procedure of abortion. But the bar will actually be lowered on health clinics. So on, on abortion clinics. So this is so critical. I just can't, I mean, really, this is so important that it's important for the country because we need a blueprint about how to win these ballot initiatives. But we're talking about protections that Ohio has enjoyed for many, many years that could be undone overnight. And Ohio would become one of the most pro-abortion states in the country. And so please pray fast and get your friends out to vote against issue one. And I would point folks to the uh, Catholic Conference of Ohio, who has put out a lot of information about just what Jeannie was saying, how that actually is written into the very vague language that uh, that that issue one was intentionally written that way for mm-hmm. just this purpose. Now, now, Jeannie, I'm I'm kind of of two minds of this next question I have for you. Um, And that is about media coverage of the Ohio March for Life. Do you think that this will be widely covered by the media? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just know from my own interviews that I'm I'm prepping for today widely (laughs) and and friendlies and unfriendlies. So, like, I can – I know for sure we've got New York Times, Washington Post, Politico, all these folks are going to be live covering this tomorrow. So we have – like I said, we have the entire country watching – now, what might not be, what you might see, because we've, we've seen unfriendly media outlets shut us out in Ohio, 
you might not see a lot of local coverage, but I can tell you this is on the national stage, and you are going to absolutely see national coverage of this. And I'm hoping that those national outlets that aren't, you know, often with us on these issues or don't really report fairly um, will in some ways smoke out the local media in Ohio because, and I don't mean, of course, Anna, sure. like you and your show, but some of the some of the more traditional outlets, um, yeah. not the faith-based outlets. So, yeah, yeah, I, we will have a lot of media. And so with that in mind then, Jeannie, how do you hope to to educate the country and, and Ohioans specifically on issue one? Well, I think just telling the truth about what it's about and then going back to the really simple and basic truths about what I mean, what being pro-life is. You know, we are pro-love. And um, even <laughs> if people don't identify as being pro-life from the moment of conception, most people know that taking the life of a seven-pound baby that's just not yet been born, um, you know, right before the moment of birth is wrong. And when Ohioans of goodwill hear the truth of what this amendment would do. They're horrified by it. So I think just kind of bringing things into the light is our goal. And um, for all of our friends who, who know that every life is a gift and that we need to protect and defend life from the moment of conception and that abortion takes the life of one and wounds the life of another, that it's not good for women, we just need to do everything possible to educate, to vote, to get out there, and, and to show public witness at the Ohio March for Life. And uh, you can find all of the information for the Ohio March for Life at sunrisemorningshow.com. Again, taking place in Columbus, starting with 9 a.m. Mass at St. Joseph's Cathedral with Bishop Fernandez. Rally starts at the state capitol at 11 a.m. And Jeannie, just really appreciate all of the work you do for the cause of life and uh, specifically for the cause of life here in Ohio. Please keep us in your prayers. And if listeners want to support the March for Life, how can they do so? Uh, We'd be most grateful. We're growing our state march initiative rapidly. And um, the only thing that will keep us from doing that is not having uh, that financial support. So check us out at marchforlife.org, marchforlifeaction.org. Another thing that you can do is text Ohio March, so O-H-M-A-R-C-H, that word, to the number 73075. So let me say that one more time. Text to the number 73075, the word O-H-M-A-R-C-H, and in that way you'll stay up to date on opportunities like the ones we're going to have to let our elected officials in Ohio and nationally know where we stand on this issue, on issue one. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeannie Mancini. You can find that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And a note to our Ohio listeners, well, to our whole national audience, if you want to learn more about this, my sister Maggie, very much on top of things, sending me a link to the Ohio Attorney General's webpage, and he just put out a document not telling people which way to vote, just what this issue is going to do, what ramifications it will have in Ohio, what laws will be invalidated. And if you go to OhioAttorneyGeneral.gov, there is a banner at the top of the page that says ballot initiatives, and uh, you can read a 13-page document about issue one. 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with the headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. 
Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. The EWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV, your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 19 minutes past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. The United Auto Workers president will be making an announcement on a possible expansion of the UAW strike this afternoon. The work at the Synod on Synodality continues with initial reflections among the delegates in their 35 working groups. And as we were just talking about, the Ohio March for Life taking place later this morning. There's still time. If you're like in the Cincinnati area, for instance, to make the to drive, get there, yeah, absolutely. To make the drive. Well, either way, there are a lot of people who've got to make a drive right now or in the process of a drive to their workplace. Mm-hmm. So please do include that in your prayers this morning. Heading into the weekend, I don't, I haven't given one of these in a while. Pep talks, right? So we <laughs> talked last hour. Treat your Sunday like an actual Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's a good pep talk. Don't forget that tomorrow is probably the day of the week where your parish is most likely to offer confession times. Work that in. And for the gentleman listening, dress slightly nicer than you would normally. It's 21 past. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. 
This is Father Rob Jack from Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio, with the Sacred Heartbeat. The Sacred Heart of Jesus beats with a perfect love in his church and for his church. He asks us for a response to his love for us, and one way he asks us to respond is frequent attendance at Mass and the reception of Holy Communion, particularly on the first Friday of every month. He promises us that we will receive special gifts by attending nine consecutive First Friday Masses. In this promise, Jesus reminds us that by approaching him in loving humility and asking his forgiveness for our sins and those of the whole world, we may properly dispose our hearts and souls to be transformed in his divine love. Let us make a sincere effort to keep the First Friday devotion so that our broken hearts may be healed, and through our love and presence, a broken world will be made whole. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Friday morning. Happy Friday, everybody. Dr. Samuel Shepard is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a professor of biology at Ave Maria University and one of the instructors in Ave Maria's free course series, The Pursuit of Wisdom, which you can check out online at thepursuitofwisdom.org. Dr. Shepard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good morning. So your course is entitled Stewarding the Environment. Timely to talk to you uh, just a few days after the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation. But what what do you cover under this topic in your course? Yeah, thank you. Well, I start just kind of intuitively by trying to reconnect people with, with creation, with God's first book. So John Paul II said that contact with nature, with its beauty and its peace, restores us. So I just encourage people to go outside and stop for a moment and re-look at the beauty of what he's made. We do that quite a lot with our students here at the university. How do you and do that on a computer? On... Just curious. <laughs> on a computer? <laughs> Through the course, that is. <laughs> Through the course, yeah. So it's, I guess talking of exhortations, this is more like it begins with me exhorting people to get out there and stop and look. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, okay. And then I just go on and I talk a little bit about basic ecological theory. So I try and give people some ecological vocabulary, really, because I think that really helps them to penetrate a bit further into nature, just in the same way that if you learn a bit about more about art or about music, you can derive more aesthetic appreciation from it. And in the end, I just introduce the idea that while we're part of creation, we have a right to use the goods of nature that comes with the responsibilities to be good caretakers of our common homes. I kind of encourage people to think a little bit about how they can integrate that into their lives. That's great. So what would you say is the importance of the term stewardship when we start thinking about environmental issues? And I put that in kind of square scare quotes because it gets so politically charged so quickly in this day and age. But we as Catholics need to think on a higher level than that, don't we? I think we absolutely do, yeah. Well, for a long time, I've been thinking it's incredibly important that the Catholic Church, or Catholics in general, need to kind of repossess, repossess care of the world from secular environmentalism. Because I'm very confident that we really have 
because we have a better understanding of what it is to be human and the fact that the world isn't just something completely material, but it's made by God, we're made in the image and likeness of God, we actually have the real language and the real capacity to be the best stewards, I think. And I think we need to take confidence in that and gently start reaching across these political divides and saying that we're here, we can do this, we know why we should do it, and we have something really really positive and, and informative to contribute to the discussion. And so is that why you start with your exhortation to just go out and enjoy the beauty of creation? Is that where we need to start here? I think so. But it comes back to starting everything with prayer in a way. And I think we can, it sounds a bit hippie-ish to say, so maybe we, we can definitely meet the creator through his creation and, and start to understand nature in terms of something that he's made that's an expression of the wonder and glory and imagination of God. So we start with a prayer, as always, and move from there. And so take us through this process, then, of, of gently bringing people around on this idea of stewardship. Yeah. Uh, well, if we, I tell you what, one of the things we do in the environmental science class here is the students are obliged, as one of their assignments, to go outside. And they have to spend 15 minutes outside without their phone, without their mobile phone. I would say nice. that's the starting point. And then they have to afterwards write a little reflection. It's always wonderful what they say. They're amazed. They say, I put my phone down and suddenly I could hear the birds and I could smell the flowers and I could see little bugs running around. And I think that really stills people. And that's kind of starting point. Yeah, to bring people around with regard to stewardship, I think it's just to gently make people conscious that although the world is bountiful and beautiful, it is finite. And we have been given this incredible freedom to love. And part of that freedom to love is the freedom to deal um, sustainably and gently with creation, recognize that, it, that it's finite. Well, and of course, the Lord gave man dominion to till and keep the garden, to have stewardship over creation. Can you talk about how nature is connected, how we as, as humans made in the image and after the likeness of God are connected to nature? Yeah, um, I think that's a really good question, yeah. I always try and explain it in terms of the fact that we are absolutely an intrinsic part of of creation. We we evolved right up through the middle of it, and we're actually related to certain other primate species. We're part of the food web, and I think our most profound connection with nature is when we recognize that. But at the same time, we are set apart, both by intellect and by will, by the fact we have free choice, and also by the fact that we are indeed children of God, made in his image and likeness. So I think we have to try and think a little bit about our location in this world, the fact that we're both part of it and somewhat set apart with this this extraordinary and actually very explicit responsibility to care for and to nurture creation. And I, I think even more than that, we actually have a role in, in salvation and that we're kind of drawing the whole of creation with us towards God. Yeah. So it's, it's an extraordinary um, vocation. Yeah. The St. Paul talks about creation groaning as in labor pains, waiting for that that fullness of um, going back to that fullness in which God uh, created all of creation to to be in service and in praise of him. Um, We've been talking to Dr. Samuel Shepard. He's a professor of biology at Ave Maria University, and you can take his course. It's free on stewarding the environment at the pursuit the pursuit of wisdom.org is where you can check it out and sign up dr shepherd really appreciate your time this morning thank you yeah thank you very much you bet and of course you can find that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com that's s-o-n rise morning show 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com where you can find all of our guests linked and also where you can find our podcast and now the video live stream. See what Matt's wearing today. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. A Russian strike on a Ukrainian village has left at least 48 people dead. That, according to Ukrainian authorities, President Volodymyr Zelensky said on Telegram, a missile hit a grocery store in the Kharkiv region, and he called it a, quote, demonstrably brutal Russian crime. It is one of the deadliest civilian attacks in the year and a half of war between Russia and Ukraine. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain is expected to address union members again this afternoon on the status of contract negotiations with Detroit's big three automakers. Mark Mayfield has the story. He has announced walkouts over the past couple of weeks, and that may include more locations on Friday. There reportedly has been progress made in talks with Stellantis and Ford Motor Company, with Ford reportedly making a significant offer. It includes a large pay raise and the end of tiers for employees. General Motors has secured a $6 billion credit line as the talks continue. I'm Mark Mayfield. A number of diverse individuals gathered at the Vatican yesterday to reflect on the Pope's latest apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollock reports. A Nobel Peace Prize winning physicist, an internationally famous chef, an American novelist and a German climate change activist gathered in the Vatican Gardens to share their perspectives on Pope Francis's newly released apostolic exhortation, Laudate Deum. In the exhortation, Pope Francis warns that climate change has pushed us to the breaking point. He also criticizes climate change deniers, saying that the human origin of global warming is now beyond doubt and describes how care for our common home flows from the Christian faith. In total, nine speakers were present at press conference in the Vatican. The first was physicist Giorgio Leonardo Renato Parisi, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 2021. He praised the scientific rigor of the Pope's document, adding that, unlike many scientific texts, it is written in clear and accessible language in order to reach as many people as possible. Another speaker was the US writer and novelist Jonathan Safran Foer. He praised the Pope for challenging climate change deniers before stressing that acknowledging climate change but failing to act is, too, a type of denial. And when the future distinguishes between these two kinds of denial, which will appear to be a grave error and which a sin? We heard, too, from Louisa Marie Neubauer, the head of Fridays for the Future in Germany. She thanked Pope Francis for his witness and encouraged him and all those listening to continue with the church's ecological conversion, noting that full divestment from fossil fuels would represent a major step in that direction. One of the last speakers at the event was Benoit Algon, co-founder of the French Catholic youth organization Struggle and Contemplation. He stressed the necessity of personal conversion in the fight against climate change, saying that the danger is not only outside us but inside as well, and underlining the importance of the spiritual struggle against the desire to dominate and possess God's creation. I'm Joseph Tullock. The work at the Synod on Synodality continues today. A Vatican press conference was held yesterday with Paolo Ruffini, the prefect of the Dicastery for Communication. There are more than 400 delegates, and Ruffini said the 35 working groups began the Synod with some reflection. The main question they were asked to reflect on was, quote, starting from the journey of the local churches to which we each belong and from the contents of the Instrumentum Laboris, which distinctive signs of a synodal church emerge with greater clarity and which deserve greater recognition or should be particularly highlighted or deepened, end quote. 
The Ohio March for Life takes place today. Columbus Bishop Earl Fernandez is celebrating Mass at 9 a.m. Eastern Time at St. Joseph's Cathedral in Columbus. And then we'll join March for Life President Jeannie Mancini, J.D. Vance, and others at the rally at the state capitol. This happening just about a month ahead of the November 7th election, in which, oh, which in Ohio will include a vote on a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. The bishops of Ohio have urged all Ohioans to vote no on issue one. The U.S. is resuming direct deportation flights of Venezuelan migrants next week. Trey Thomas reports. On Thursday, a Biden administration official announced any Venezuelans who illegally cross the border and do not establish a legal basis to remain will be flown back to their home country. Last month, the Biden administration offered a temporary protected status and work authorization to anyone from Venezuela who's lived in the U.S. before August. I'm Trey Thomas. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN. It's 35 past the hour. The Sunrise It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. We all know that Paul was from Tarsus, but what kind of city was Tarsus? We may think of it as a small, insignificant place, but in fact, it was the capital of a Roman province. Since the days of Pompey, it had become a metropolis where the governor resided. It was in Tarsus that that famous pair Cleopatra and Mark Anthony gave a number of banquets during the construction of their fleet. Some 60 years before our Lord's birth, the citizens of Tarsus were granted Roman citizenship. Tarsus was a civil and a religious center it had palaces, marketplaces, roads, bridges, baths, fountains and waterworks, a gymnasium, and a stadium. Tarsus was also a port and a shipyard, and some Roman emperors were laid to rest in Tarsus. But none of this would have mattered to Paul. He was serving the kingdom of heaven. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Friday, the 6th of October. Always great to uh, wind up the week with you all. Thank you for listening across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. You can find them online at Life and Hope. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So uh, you report on a lot of cases here in the United States, a few of them in Belgium uh, and elsewhere, but there are a lot of cases that come through the U.K., and there's one you wanted to highlight today. Uh, Tell us about it. 
Yeah, I think we really need to, to see or talk about this case, Matt, because I, I've really never um, come across a case where the court and the doctors went as far as they did. Uh, first to, uh, to, well, let, let me just get to the case. So this, this involved a 19-year-old girl. Um, she went by the name of ST, and the reason, so the reason you didn't hear a lot about this case, Matt, and I was kind of wondering uh, why is because the court, the, 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 the hospital uh, asked the court to put a gag order on the case. I mean, a complete gag order, and the court uh, granted that. So the, the parents, they weren't able to talk about this case. Uh, so it, was, it involved a 19-year-old girl. She was um, she had a, she had what they call uh, mitochondrial depletion syndrome, which basically uh, does not allow the body to produce the energy it needs to function. Um, so she was on a feeding tube, a ventilator. She didn't need dialysis. Uh, it is uh, most likely a life-ending type of disease. However, there was uh, experimental treatment in Canada, uh, Canada of all places, <laughs> uh, that was willing to, to, to take her, to, to treat her, to see if they can help her with this disease. But the court and the hospital refused. They stepped in. Now, now, Matt, she was completely conscious. She was able to make decisions, although... Yeah, so uh, this is the part that I wanted to ask you about, because I'm reading through the documents you sent me, and they are, like, interviewing this girl. Right. So so the court came... So the doctors said that she was incapable of making decisions about her future medical care because she is under delusion that her death is not intimate. And the, um, and the, uh, the court agreed. However... She said uh, that her wish, she understood that this treatment might, might not extend, extend her life, but it was her wish to try to, to live. Uh, she wanted to die trying to live, and she wanted to do everything she could to get the help that she wanted. And she was being told no. But Matt, this, this, is, this is, I mean, it amounts to medical bullying, quite frankly. Uh, certainly, she had every right. To, to pursue treatment and should have been granted treatment if she wanted that. The parents could not, they, they could not publicly pray for this girl uh, because of the gag order. They could not raise money to, to help fund her for the, the trip to, to Canada to see these doctors, although the court wasn't allowing it anyway, uh, because of this gag order. The only reason we knew about her, and her name was Sadiksha uh, uh, uh I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing her name. But we only learned the identity of this woman because she died a couple weeks ago uh, because of this lack of treatment that, that she was not receiving or providing. The hospital was not, the doctors were not providing for her. Matt, what was remarkable about this, there was two psychiatrists that evaluated her and said that she was capable of making decisions about her future care. Now, this is contrary to what the judge said. The judge, despite the psychiatrist, said... Um, that she, the judge did not believe she had the capacity to make decisions for herself and therefore ruled, uh, agree with the hospital that it was in her best interest to stop treatment uh, and start palliative care. And it's, just a, it's just a horrifying, heartbreaking case, Matt, and I read this information, and I just I can't believe the lengths that this, these doctors went to, and, and the court agreed to stop this young woman from getting the care that she wanted, uh, and the parents were trying to, to provide for her. It's just, it's just horrifying. Well, there are so many different things swirling around in here. One is this sort of like gaslighting situation where a person is 
literally talking and getting psychologically evaluated because they are conscious enough for that to take place. They're 19 years old, so they're a legal adult, <laughs> right? And they're sitting here trying to say, hey, I know I might not live, but I'd like to try this experimental thing. And they're saying, oh, you're not capable to of, of saying whether or not you're okay. You're under the delusion your life is going to be saved. And she's like, no, I'm not under any delusions. I just want to try. Like... This this massive just seems like a gaslighting thing going through the whole the whole story. Well, I, I think we're seeing, and, and we're seeing this in, in, in the U.S. too. We saw it with COVID and, and in treatment. It's really just a, uh, another form, another example of paternalism, and where the doctors are stepping in and saying, you know, we we know what's in your best interest, so we're going to we're going to decide treatment decisions for you because we know better. Uh, so. You, you, you know, Matt, this, this was a way of dehumanizing this young girl because they did not want, they, they understood the gravity of the situation, and they knew if, if the parents took videos, if, the, if, this, if this woman went to the, uh, to the news and, and publicized what was happening, they knew, I think, the response they were going to get from the public. So they did what they could to, to basically make sure that the, they could not uh, at all provide uh, videos or any any type of publicity to see that their school was conscious and, and needed help. Uh, you know, it's reminiscent of my sister's case and how the court came in and put a, a uh, they, they told my parents and our family that we could not take videos of Terry, uh, and, and they did this for one reason. They didn't want people to see that she was a human being, uh, and it's a way of dehumanizing them, and, and it's, you know, you're fighting, you're fighting words. You don't see the person. So, uh, it, it's just it's just tragic, and, and you know my heart breaks for these parents because now they're they have to um, you know suffer the consequences of of, of this experience and, and the help they're trying to get for their daughter. Well, I don't want to plant unnecessary fears uh, because you've said this, uh, and you you often say this the other way around too, right? You, that you know the doctors believe they know what's in the patient's best interest in terms of treatment. Well, Bobby. The vast majority of the time, that's true, <laughs> right? I mean, almost right. everywhere we go, in every kind of situation that we're trying to seek help uh, with, doctors are usually acting very much in our best interest and uh, addressing situations where we don't know. Uh, you and I are not, you know, medical experts on every single thing. I got a weird thing on my toe. I don't know where to start on that question, Bobby. You know, I got to seek a medical professional to be like, okay, so here's what this is and here's how you fix it. But when it comes to situations like this, where you should be able to have options of what kind of care are available. If those kinds of care are feasible, uh, right, then you should be allowed as a patient, as a consumer, to be able to select those options. Well, you're exactly right, Matt. I mean, the doctors, we, doctors are taught to preserve life, and, and we're seeing more and more where if the decision is that they want to try and get the best care possible, uh, it, you know, they're getting this terrible pushback, and, and the only time that granted what they want is when is when they want <laughs> is, is when they choose death. And we're seeing more and more of that with the expansion of assisted suicide. It was this girl with all her medical issues and the extraordinary care that she received, and she made the decision that she, yes, she wanted to stop and, and, and go into palliative care. That was her, that was her right to make that choice too, and it would have been, I think, appropriate. However, she also had the right to also decide that she wanted treatment. And the fact that she did want treatment and, and they found that she was competent to make these decisions, she should have been granted that opportunity to get the treatment that she wanted and, and try, try to, to, to seek that help in Canada. And the fact that these doctors stepped in and the court stepped in and said, no, 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 we know what's best for you and what's best for you is death. So 
we're going to just ignore your request and and the help that that you want, and we're gonna we're gonna make the decision for you. It's just it's just terrible what we're seeing more and more of, and, and that's what that's the problem, Matt. And that's that's why I think we need to talk about these things because we're seeing more and more of it today in our healthcare, and and uh, we we got to start doing things to protect ourselves as best we can so we can fight against these types of things if, if in case they do uh, they do you know happen to, to someone and to our family members or to ourselves at, at some point in our lives. Well, and we see it all the time, uh, Bobby, where someone is unconscious or in a coma and their family has to say these things on their behalf. But here you've got a situation where a person is able to speak on their own behalf, able to undergo psychological evaluations and all this. And that's, I think, what makes this story uh, stand out all the more. We've got lifeandhope.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much, Bobby. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right. We preview the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan next. It's 14 till. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Mystic Monk Coffee has brought back their pumpkin spice blend, and unlike the competition, buying their coffee has the added bonus of supporting the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming and the Sunrise Morning Show. Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click the Mystic Monk link to get that or any of their other coffee blends or teas. When you check out, we earn a commission. And there's no better vessel for your Mystic Monk pumpkin spice latte than a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug. Find those in our online store. Do pumpkin spice the Catholic way. Just head on over to sonrisemorningshow.com. This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. Hi, this is Cy Kell at Weird Questions later today on Catholic Answers Live with who else? Jimmy Aiken. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 till, here's Anna with headlines. A Russian strike on a Ukrainian village has left at least 51 people dead. The Ohio March for Life is taking place later today in Columbus. The rally begins at 11 a.m. for anyone within driving distance. And the work at the Synod on Synodality continues today and tomorrow. They'll get a day off on Sunday. Well, good. I intend to take a day off on Sunday, too. I know, right? So, uh, speaking of Sunday... We're joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan. He is from the Diocese of Charleston, where he's got lots of experience in hospital ministry, 
uh, campus ministry and the like. Uh, he comes from some Pentecostal and Anglican uh, scenarios before he became a Catholic and a Catholic priest. Father Duncan, good morning. Good morning. And I just have to start by saying, contra to, to Matt and Anna, I'm not certain that there's a Catholic way to enjoy pumpkin spice miscellany because I do think it's probably intrinsically disordered. So I'll just kind of kind of like leave that there and just drop that there and then move on, pivot to the Sunday reading. Well, just so you know, I was only reading what the piece of paper said on that promo. Personally, I am a, I, I don't think of this as pumpkin spice season. I think of this as apple season. So that's... Uh, it, is, it is apple season. If the I'm going to take a formal is, stance. The other stuff is, I, I think, if, if not in, intrinsically evil, at least intrinsically disordered. But, disordered. But here we are. Here we are indeed. And, you know, I mentioned that you came from some uh, other Christian backgrounds before you ended up in the Catholic Church. And in my backgrounds, uh, you know, in the Wesleyan holiness tradition, if I was going to hear a sermon, very often the sermon was not going to be from the Gospels. It was going to be from the letters of St. Paul. I heard Paul preached on all the time. Whereas often in homilies, I'll hear like a really great reading from Paul in the second reading, and it doesn't even get mentioned in the homily. However, um, there's some powerful stuff from St. Paul that is so relevant to the way that we sort of deal with one another and deal with news in uh, 2023. I wonder, are you going to touch on Paul at all, or are you going to stay on the vineyard imagery in the first reading, the psalm, and the gospel? You know, I think so much of—so many, I should say, of our our parishes um, struggle— with what Paul talks about. So in, in his epistle, we're going to hear about have no anxiety about anything. And then Paul's going to describe sort of what the Christian life ought to look like. Now, it, we should be clear, when we talk about um, anxiety here, you know, we're not describing like a momentary concern or a momentary fear, but that kind of abiding sense of dread, that abiding sense of fear, that, that abiding sense of my life is not for me. Now, of course, many of our people um, are struggling with an anxiety that may be brought on by um, real kind of mental health struggles. Uh, sometimes it could be uh, brought on neurologically, chemical issues in our own body. So, and, and there is a place for mental health professionals, absolutely in dealing with anxiety. But I love Paul's, uh, Paul's advocacy here, which is, have no anxiety about anything. I'll, I'll just read I'll for you uh, a little excerpt here. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, that the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I think, first of all, like, what is the answer to our anxiety? It's approaching God with prayer and thanksgiving, so that as we are praying for things, we are giving thanks not just for what we've received in the past, though we certainly want to do that, but we're also giving thanks for however God is going to resolve the thing that we're praying for, knowing that He is going to answer our prayers, uh, he is going to resolve it in some way. Will it be the way that we necessarily most want or think is best? Maybe, maybe not. But approaching him immediately with an attitude of thanksgiving, approaching our life 
with an attitude of thanksgiving, approaching our day with thanksgiving and with wonder. That is a, that's, that's one way forward out of some of this anxiety. And then notice what he says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely and gracious, think on these things. In other words, control what you allow your mind to consume. We know, of course, that when our bodies consume things uh, that aren't good, it can have really negative effects on our bodies. And in the same way, Paul is clear, your mind, your soul can be affected when you consume things, when you think on things, when you dwell on things um, that are not good, true, just, pure, lovely, gracious. Yeah. And so well, I that, that can particularly be, yeah, that can particularly be confusing when it comes to, you know, thinking about church stuff, right? Because there are, well, in the sports world, there are people who say they're really into sports when really what they're into is player transactions and salary cap numbers and movements and trades and whether somebody's going to get their contract extended and what the betting line is on, you know, how many receptions somebody's going to have this weekend. And that to me is like, I don't know that you're actually into sports, man. <laughs> I think you're into something, this other thing. And sometimes we can be in that trap where we're like, uh, you know, we're serious about our faith, which really means we're serious about following the movements of various curial offices and which bishop is doing what and what scandal is in the news and that sort of thing. And I don't think that's being serious about your faith. It's paying a lot of attention to some of the problems, but I don't know that that's what makes us better Christians. I mean, we got to have our eyes open, uh, but I don't. I think that the devil wants us to 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 think that following all these little goings-on and church bureaucracy is the same as being serious about our faith. And it's not a one-to-one ratio. No, absolutely. I was telling a group of Catholics just last weekend, I said, you know, one of the best things you can do for your spiritual life, there, there are certainly people who have the vocation where they need to be public witnesses, public teachers. I'm thinking of bishops. Um, and they have a vocation to be a public voice, public witness, contending for the faith, sometimes with their fellow bishops, as, as we've had to do in the history of the Church. But most of us, our vocation is not to, to go through the Internet and try to be the public voice on Twitter of orthodoxy. Most of us, our vocation is very simple. Pray, love God, love your neighbor, um, you know, teach in your... Um, RCIA or your um, um, your CCB, catechism, your religious education you know, classes, yeah. serve the poor, grow in humility and in virtue. That's what you're called to do. That's enough Not to keep me busy. Absolutely. <laughs> That's enough to keep a lifetime busy. And that will help shape you following the inside baseball of this other stuff. It is going to make you anxious. It's going to make you worried. It's going to rob All that you stuff Paul people. warns against in the reading. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Father Duncan. We'll talk to you Monday. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.